Hello to all my hard partying symphony musicians. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun and I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gathard here. Thanks so much for listening to Beautiful Anonymous. Thanks to everybody who checked out the Half My Life special. It's been very cool to see feedback. If you want to go check it out, international listeners, it's on Vimeo. That's where you can get it if you're not in the States. Amazon, iTunes, if you are, YouTube. and It's a couple bucks, but it helps support me. And thanks to everybody who's been enjoying it. And uh, especially, you know, it dovetails into I'm going on tour again. And there's a bunch of beautiful anonymous live dates happening. And people have been buying those tickets. All the dates are at chrisgeth.com. And I am so thrilled I get to meet a lot of people out there once again, starting up July, Binghamton, our first show, going all the way through the end of the year where I got a couple Ohio dates and many, many places in between. Check chrisgeth.com to see if I'm visiting you for either some stand-up or a live beautiful anonymous taping. Okay. This week's show, funny enough, deals with another person who's uh, getting a performing career up and running. Uh, This is the real Mrs. Maisel. Her friends call her that. You're going to hear. This is somebody who has lived uh, some life, has been through some tumultuous times, has started really focusing in on how to point things in a direction that feels a little more streamlined, safe, comfortable. And it's leading to a situation where people in her life are calling her the real Mrs. Maisel. It's a really good talk. It reminds me a lot of why I've always enjoyed pursuing creativity, being a creative person, why creativity gives something to your life, especially when you're someone who maybe has some predilections towards uh, addiction or, or letting things sort of get chaotic or, or embracing that chaos. Reminded me of myself in so many ways, and I'm rooting for this caller hard. Caller also followed up after the call and wanted us to just say, disclaimer, caller wants everybody to know that COVID-19 safety protocols were followed. Said specifically, as I live alone, I was allowed to designate one contact. And the two men I talk about were my pandemic contacts at the time. It was more than two weeks of isolation between me dating them. So caller wants just everybody out there to know, hey, doing things the smart and safe way, following the rules, following the laws of my province. So that's on record. And another thing that's on record you're about to learn is that this caller has a very, very compelling story very compelling person. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? Um, good. How are you? Uh, let's see. I, I feel good. I, I woke up feeling very positive today. For some reason, I've had some anxiety lately. And then today I woke up and felt like, all right, I'm kind of back in my I'm back in a good headspace. All right. That's wonderful. Yeah. I woke up feeling good today, too. I'm so excited to be talking to you. I'm wearing lipstick and I shaved my legs for this phone call. (laughs) I realize you can't see me, but, you know, there we are. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask you, are aware that this is an audio medium? But it sounds like we're on the same I am. You just wanted you just wanted to uh, get into your confidence place. Exactly. Gotcha. Gotcha. That may be the <laughs> earliest the earliest I've ever thrown my glasses in the history of this show. 
less than a oh minute. Oh my in. gosh, I was hoping for that. Yeah, you got a glasses throw. And it was it was less than a minute in as I laughed at the idea of no one has ever informed me about um shaving their legs in prep for the phone call before. So you you earned it. <laughs> you earned it. <laughs> Awesome. I'm so glad to hold that title. I yeah. want that on my tombstone. Really? No, I think there's there's better things. I promise. There's better things. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. I had a feeling that you're going to be throwing your glasses a whole bunch over the course of the next hour, but I'm glad we got the first one out of the way. Okay. Okay. It, good tease. I'm intrigued. Okay. Um, so there are a couple different avenues this phone call can take. Okay. So I'm just, okay. I have not given myself this title, but I've been referred to as a real life Mrs. Maisel because I started doing stand up comedy after I left the man I thought I was going to marry, um, in Canada, which is just, you know, adds a whole level of, of hilarity. I am almost four months sober. I'm a week away from being four months sober off of booze. Mm -hmm. um, and I just found out my 42-year-old uh, not-boyfriend, even though he essentially was living with me, was cheating on me. So there's lots of different ways we can go this morning. Wow. Okay. Well, where would you want to start? Um, I kind of wanted to talk with you about about your experience, because I know that you don't drink. Yes, and congrats um, on being. Uh, congrats on the four months, by the way. Thank you. It's been really, really, really hard. So I mean, like we could start there. I have a lot of you know really hilarious but horrific drunk stories. Well, I mean, I guess maybe we should start with comedy because that's kind of how my drinking problem reared reared its ugly head. I've heard this story before. As a comedian, it's not uncommon, sadly enough. Exactly. Um yeah. So okay, I might be like really Canadian during this call. Like I feel so uncomfortable just talking about myself. So I might ask you a lot of questions. So okay. when when you stopped drinking, did you um like, were you doing comedy? Um, yeah, but I was very young and just starting out. I was 21 when I quit drinking. Wow. Um, I hadn't even graduated college yet. And Good for you. Yeah, I, I just, uh, I didn't drink for many years in my life. I, I think I first had a drink my senior year of high school towards the second half of that year. And I quit before I was done with my senior year of college. I just... Uh, I've said I've said before I I don't know that I've ever been drunk cuz I've only ever been drunk. I was one of those drinkers like Oh no, yeah. No just having a drink or two to to chill out. So I had started going into New York City to take classes at the UCV and I was doing some shows there and I'd, I'd hang out and I remember being very excited my first year in the city because at that at that era a lot of New York City bars could not care less about carting for underage people and I'd drink with my friends afterwards and I felt very hip very bohemian uh but yeah I, I could I knew how it hit me and it brought out a lot of uh, emotional problems and 
you know, sadly enough, I've, I've seen enough examples in, in my own family and heard about enough things in my own family's past that I said, okay, I see which way this is going. So that's, that's where I was at. But yeah, the comedy scene was definitely like, oh, hang out with a bunch of other artists and we go do shows and then grab a drink afterwards and talk a bunch of crap and talk about how good the show was or how bad the show was. Like there's romance to it for sure. Oh, totally. And it's like, yeah, it kind of like becomes your hobby is like drinking. But um, yeah, yeah, that gives me that gives me hope because um, obviously from the pandemic, I haven't been able, you know, I'm not at open mics all the time. I've done a couple of Zoom shows since getting sober, which I hate. Well, I love yeah. and I hate them because I'm just I'm excited to be doing comedy. But ugh, it's so weird. But um yeah, that gives me that gives me hope because I'm really nervous about going back into the scene sober. But um, someone in my AA group gave me the nickname of Maisel, and I I cherish it a little bit. And why Maisel? Is it just because you do stand up and because that's a show right now, or do or do you have more in common with Mrs. Maisel? Than I just think it's that? I think it's because I'm well, I'm a lady lady comedian comedian mm -hmm. but yeah like um the reason i started doing it was because i left um i guess fiance we were planning on eloping um and then i felt so just like totally lost um after i left him because i kind of had let our relationship become my whole identity like i met him when i was pretty young i was 22 i was working at a starbucks and he was one of my regulars so I gave him free coffee like every single day for two years. <laughs> and then <laughs> when I stopped giving him coffee, he didn't even like he didn't even bat an eye. He's like, oh, thank you, Invisible Barista Girl. And then when I stopped giving him free coffee is when he noticed me. <laughs> and then he finally asked me out. Um, so we had a really good meet cute, um, but he was older. Like I was a barista. I was making, you know, like maybe $12,000 a year. And he was a like kind of a higher up at a pretty big company. And he was pretty young. He was like 28 when we met, but, um, he was making probably like $90,000 a year. So all of a sudden, I kind of had like a sugar daddy, an accidental sugar daddy situation. We moved in <laughs> really quick. Um, when we were together, I graduated college. So I got a federal government job, um, which was absolutely soul sucking. And I was on this birth control that was making me really depressed. And I didn't realize it because I, I got on it when I was 18. And I was like, oh, this is just what adulthood feels like. Everyone is just as sad as I am. And this is just being a grown-up. <laughs> I did it. Um, but I had to go off of this birth control because uh, I finally, I saw this female doctor who looked at my chart. I asked her for a refill and I, she looked at my chart and she was like, oh, you get migraines with aura. Why are you taking this birth control? You're at super high risk of having a stroke. And I was like, what? So I had to go off at cold turkey. And then a couple weeks later, I finally, I felt like I woke up and I had a personality again. And I left my federal government job. I started working for the symphony in my city as their marketing person. Um, and I suddenly had all these like cool new artsy friends. And like, I was kind of a child actor. So I like, I really missed being in this artsy kind of world. 
And my ex, I mean, I do feel kind of bad for him because I probably changed on a complete dime. But he was, you know, he was pretty controlling. We always did what he wanted to do. We never hung out with my friends. We only hung out with his friends. And he was like, I just feel so out of place with your friends. And I was like, do you think I feel comfortable in a room full of people talking about supply chain management? (laughs) Like, no. Um, But after we broke up, I was just kind of like scattered and flailing. And um, so I went to an open mic and I just kind of couldn't stop going. It really became my community. And between classical musicians, I moved into a house that I affectionately called the Marijuana Mansion with two (laughs) members of the symphony (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like classical musicians party and comedians party so i was kind of doomed classical um, musicians party oh my god yes oh yeah like um (laughs) (laughs) yeah like after they'd play usually like on saturday nights they'd play friday saturday they would all come to the marijuana mansion. It was this huge, beautiful house. I was living in the basement, um, but I partied there before I moved in. And um, they'd have these parties and it was great. Everyone was, you know, pretty drunk, pretty, you know, on whatever. Um, The musicians I was living with, they loved the like music festival scene. So even (laughs) though... Like, which is hilarious. You know, they have master's degrees in classical music performance, but that they just go rave and like listen to whoever. And it's awesome. I guess that's the thing you don't think about. I bet I'm not the only one who goes like, well, yeah, if you're a professional viola player, that must mean that you're a very serious person and you're uh, connected with sort of a high society art scene. But then you're probably like, no, that's also probably just a day gig for a lot of people. And they want to go like to Bonner. They want to go to like a festival and take MDMA and watch MGMT. Like there's probably they're just other human beings. And they also have another artist, right? It's close minded to me. Cause it's like, oh yeah, you work a few, you work really hard to get an opportunity, but then you're also working like a few focused hours a night and then you get to kind of sleep in, which means you get to stay up late. I guess exactly. It makes sense. Who knew that cello oh, yeah. players throw down? They throw down. <laughs> Case of the cellos, you know, it's kind of like it's touch and go. Some of them throw down, but some of them are pretty serious. Violins, absolutely not. They are very serious. Violas, you know, they're kind of the butt of the joke all the time. So, like, some of them party, some of them don't. But the bass players and the percussionists, that's who you party with. If you ever find yourself hanging out with symphony musicians and you want to party, <laughs> which it sounds like our partying days are behind both of us. No, this is a guide um, for the more, the people who can handle their, their stuff a little better than, than you and I could, it sounds like. So it's the, yes. it's the percussionists and the bass players. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the, like the conductors will too, but like not, not as much. Like it's very selective, but when the conductor shows up, like it's game over, really. Wow. Little known fact about me, I can play cello. Who knew? Whoa. Yeah, it's weird. I haven't played any, I I played through my whole childhood and then stopped when I was around like 15, 16, and then I once stayed at a friend's family's house and his mom played cello and she had it all set up and I was like 
can I see if I still know how to play? And I sat down, I played it, read, read music, was able to just like sit there and play to the music. I was like, oh, all right, cool. Turns out I might be like a cello virtuoso and I just wasted that talent. Maybe that should be my midlife crisis. Maybe my midlife crisis should be getting back into cello and uh, yeah. embracing the party scene that uh, percussionists are a big part of. Exactly. Absolutely. Mm. You should. I mm. love the cello is my favorite instrument. I love it so much. I enjoy it. I never played. I do think about, I, I have, I would say within recent months, I have looked up uh, used, used cellos in New Jersey because I miss it. I do think it's cool that I know how to do it. And then I also think my wife's a musician and I think that my son growing up around music's a good thing. And I'm like, oh, if I'm playing a thing too, maybe that would be get his gears turned. Anyway, so you break up with the fiance. Yeah. You are living in the yeah. marijuana mansion. You're partying with percussionists. And mm-hmm. at what point does this lead to you getting on stage for the first time? Okay. So this is kind of like, we're going to backpedal a little bit. I'm still with my ex who I will refer to as redacted. Okay. For the duration of this phone call. Got it. So I'm still with Redacted. We are very unhappy. He's like, who, who is she? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm having a crisis. Um, and there was this very sexy composer who was in town. Oh, boy. And I know. Did he have shoulder-length oh, hair? He- Did he have long hair? He did have long hair. I knew it. He did. I knew yeah. it. Sexy composer, <laughs> shoulder like hair. It's a requirement, really. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So part of my job uh, as the marketing person, like the thing about working in nonprofit is you have to do everything. So I was like, you know, writing ads for the symphony and doing all of that. But I also had to take around like our guest artists to interviews. So um, sometimes that meant I would wake up in a pool of my own vomit on my bathroom floor with my cat staring at me with judgment in his face. And then I'd have to like clean up and then take around like a world-class violinist to morning radio shows and just be like, why am I doing this? Like that was, that was what my life was. But anyway, so sexy composer, I was taking him around to a lot of media and we were flirting pretty hard, but I was like, I mentioned my redacted, I was up front, but we were still flirting and it was still really fun. He was in town for this festival. And at, on the last night of the festival, I got really drunk. What else is new? And I was just like flirting with him a bunch. And then my ex summoned me home, which he often did, oh, which drove me nuts. So I just was like, okay, bye. Or, oh, can you bleep that? I'm so sorry. Oh, bleep it. It's okay. Nobody needs to know anybody's name around here. Okay. Sounds good. So I was like, okay, bye. Like, see you when you're back in town in March. I thought that was it. But the next day he texts me and he's like, hey, how are you feeling? And I was like, oh my God, I made such an ass of myself. And I was like, I'm feeling great. How are you? And he's like, I'm good. I was thinking about getting a drink tonight around 11. Do you want to come with me? And so I kind of thought that like the percussionist would be present. Like I thought there'd be other people there. So I was like, yeah, I'll come with you. Totally. No problem. But it was just me and him. And so I'm sitting with this like artistic person who he was living the kind of life that I really wanted to live. But I was like too scared to because I was afraid of like, 
what my family would think. I was afraid of what my partner at the time would think. But we were in this little comedy club um, those, that was really close to the, the symphony. And those lights are reflecting off his uh, impressive locks. Exactly. And we're, we're chatting. And I, for the first time in a really long time, I felt pretty and I felt noticed and I felt like very smart. And then he was like, you're really funny. Did you know that? And I was like, yeah, I kind of knew that. And he was like, well, I mean, there was just comedy here because after comedy ends at this club, which is now pretty much become my second home. Um, he's like, well, I mean, what if you did comedy the next time I come into town and, and I'm going to come see you. So you have to do it. That's awesome. And I was like, what? It was awesome. That's it was. cool. It was really cool. And I was like, yeah, maybe I can do comedy. Like I, I used to be an actor. I've performed before. Yeah. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And then we like kept talking and kept talking. And then he was like, are you and your partner in an open relationship? And I was like, no, but I really wish we were. Cause it's been months with nothing. And then we ended up like making out and I felt so horrible about it. So I went home. Like we didn't do sex to each other. But like there was making out in a bathroom. To each other? Yeah, we didn't do sex to each other. Is that <laughs> how they phrase that in sex. Canada? <laughs> that's yeah, that's Canadian slang. No, this is something I say because okay. <laughs> I'm okay. like still a little bit squeamish talking about this stuff, even though I talk about it on stage all the time now. Um, but anyways, I went home. I felt so horrible. I woke up redacted, and I was like. Hey, I just made out with composer. I'm so sorry. I feel horrible. And he was like, oh, I don't really care. And he like rolled over and went back to sleep. Well, that's a great place to pause. That's a bomb. I can see many sides of that coming. We'll be right back. Thank you to our advertisers for making this show happen. Now let's get back to that sexy composer. I went home. I felt so horrible. I woke up redacted and I was like, hey, I just made out with composer. I'm so sorry. I feel horrible. And he was like, oh, I don't really care. And he like rolled over and went back to sleep. And I was like, what? Like my partner, who I live with, who I've built a home with, who is essentially my family at this point, like just really doesn't care that I was like making out in a bathroom with this very sexy composer man. And I was like, wow. And I like in the morning, I kind of brought it up. I was like, do you remember me coming home? And he's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, okay. So, you know, then that kind of led to a discussion. I was like, you know, I'm frustrated that we haven't like done done sex to each other yeah we haven't done sex to each other and like you know by that point I just like I just didn't really want to because I like he had these horrible friends so my my ex was uh francophone so he's French Mm -hmm. I'm not I can Mm -hmm. understand it I can speak a little bit of it but I'm not fluent and he had these all of these other Franco friends who would, you know, he'd invite them over for these dinner parties and he'd spend like $80 on a cheese board for them. 
meanwhile, he would like make me craft dinner and he'd be like, there you go. <laughs> I love you. And I'd be like, oh, wow, thanks. Um, so he'd like go all out for these friends and they really didn't like me because they just kind of thought I was like this young, stupid barista girl. So they would speak French in front of me, knowing, fully knowing I don't know what's happening. And I'd say to my ex, I'd be like, can you like maybe just speak English back to them and be like, hey, can't participate. Like one of his friends, Let's like English was that name. Hold on. Hold on a second. We're going to bleep your name. You slipped up. You said your oh, name. Oh, sorry. That's okay. I got your back. I got your back. So you're asking this guy to, oh, I had a question. I'm going to make a joke. You're a comedian. We, I can make jokes. Do you feel like part of why you're, you're redacted was not into sex? Like, was there ever part of him that was like, hey, it's just that you refer to it as doing sex. And then I can't stop <laughs> thinking about that when we're leading up to it. And it, I, I just get uncomfortable or start giggling at the phrase doing sex to each other. So I'm so sorry, but that's what it's about. Je suis désolé. <laughs> Je suis désolée. And I'm like, pourquoi? Do sex to me. And he was like, no, that's enough. Stop <laughs> saying doing sex. It's going to lead to the downfall of everything. Please stop saying doing sex to each other. Please. Okay, so I shouldn't adopt it like now in my life. I should just cut that phrase. Well, now you're a comedian and you're hanging out with other artists. So now you can just say strange things all the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh man. I'm also so sorry for like spilling names. You're just, you're so easy to talk to. And I feel like I'm talking to a friend. So I'm just like, well, listen, but- can, the Canadian comedy scene, I've long had a, an infatuation with it and I've always clicked with the people up there. And I actually have some people who it's that weird thing in comedy when you travel and you go to a city and you try to meet up with the same people and you're friends, but you might only see each other once every two or three years. And there's a lot of Canadian comics who I hugely admire and it makes sense to me that we would click. And I know that there are a lot of comedy clubs that are also bars, including one of my favorite venues in the world, the Comedy Bar in Toronto. Oh, I love Comedy Bar. Is that How's that oh, place doing? Is that, are they surviving the pandemic? So I'm not in Toronto, but from what I've heard from my friends who are, they like they reopened for a bit when things kind of looked better. I think they're still around, but like the Ossington closed, like, uh, yeah, I do think comedy bars doing okay though. That's good. That's a great place. Yeah. And there's oh, yeah. so many good Canadian comedians. First of all, Schitt's Creek is like a revelation. Like an actual oh. revelation of a show. It's nuts how funny that it's show is. It's so good. And they let Catherine yeah. O'Hara, they let Catherine O'Hara at this point in her career, just, they're like, hey, every time we, every time they pass her the ball, she dunks it. It's like the most incredible comedic consistency. But then, yeah, I mean, there's, I love Deborah DiGiovanni. I love Mark Forward and Robbie Hoffman has become a really great friend to me. Like there's such a good scene in Canada, such a good scene. And so many others who I'm forgetting right now. Anyway, so you make out with sexy composer, francophone fiance, doesn't care. Right, fiance, you said. Yeah. Our plan was to elope. So my symphony was supposed to do a European tour this year. 
um, and our plan was to go and to elope in the conductor's backyard because our uh, I'm not going to say where he's from, but our conductor lives. He has a home in Europe. Um, so that was our plan was he was going to officiate and we were going to get married out there because I would have been his second wife. Wow. <laughs> so I wasn't as special. So, yeah, that this, <laughs> so, this sounds like a pretty... It sounds like not the, as you describe from the perspective that he's summoning you home and then won't speak a language that you understand when other people are around. And it's, it sounds like it had some, some major flaws. And when he says he doesn't care about you making out, you say it leads to a conversation. So is there a discussion of like, well, is this an open thing or are you going, what are we doing here then? Yeah. So I was like, I mean, like, I'm frustrated. I would like, you know, I would like to try opening things up and like maybe composer man will just be my person who like when he's in town, we can have a good old romp. And then when he's not, you know, like we can pretend, you know, we can still go to your snobby dinner parties and life can be normal. Um. And so we decided we did open up the relationship. My advice to anyone who is thinking about opening up their monogamous for years relationship is like, think about why you want to, because we should have just broken up. Like we should have just kind of acknowledged, you know, like this has run its course. We're different people now. Let's just call it quits. But we didn't, we were afraid. I was afraid um, cause I took a very significant pay cut to go from working in government to working for nonprofit. Cause I was like, I just wanted to do something I cared about. So suddenly my identity became my job, like this, the symphony And I was working 80 hour weeks, you know, and I was, I thought I was happy cause I was like, this is something, but I really wasn't cause you, yeah. Anyway. So we opened up the relationship. I texted sexy composer, man. And I was like, our plan, you know, our our plan kind of fell through to hook up because we both kind of felt weird about sleeping with a coworker, and it just it just didn't it just didn't work out. But I did do stand up. He wasn't there, but I did do stand up. And my ex came to this little comedy club, which has illegally cheap drinks, but he came in like his suit from work. Just because he kind of, he always needed to be the smartest person in the room. He always kind of wanted to be better than everyone else. And I couldn't really, well, I mean, I could see this when I was a little barista, but I just kind of did think he was better than me because I was making coffee. And I was like, wow, this, this kind of important person wants to spend time with me. But it, yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's really sad to look, I have jokes about this and they always kill. But when you take away the funny things that I'm saying, it's like, wow, this is actually like a really sad situation. But um, yeah, so I did stand up. I don't want to brag, but I crushed it. Well, your first time you often do. First time you often do. Yeah. How'd that second time go? Um, It still went okay. So my first time doing stand up was at like a women's open mic. Mm-hmm. which is like, you know, the energy in the room is always great. Like it's always just a party. It's like at on Friday at like eight o'clock, everyone's, you know, ready. But then you go to the other open mics and it's like Wednesday at 10. Or, and like, th- just like, or like three in the afternoon. It's like, Exactly. Open mics can be like 
the good ones can be like the best ways, like a fostering a community of people that are going to work together for years. And the worst ones are like, oh, this is the, <laughs> the most grim environment I've ever been in. And many of these people here seem like they could be actual sociopaths. There's also those open mics and they're all lovely. Oh, and yeah. I'm in love. I am in love with all of them. And you need, honestly, you need to do them. You cannot cut your teeth just doing the good open mics at the Can't good times. Or like it. the shows that are guaranteed a huge turnout. You need to do those mics that make you question everything about yourself before you can, I think, before you can be successful. Absolutely. And also, even in front of a good crowd, you're going to have a night you're going to have a night where that good crowd looks at you cockeyed and goes, we don't know what you're talking about. And one thing I've always said about stand-up that's, that's really kind of like so <laughs> bizarre and that I think makes people scared of it is it's like, you wrote this material yes. and you're the one saying it. So when you bomb, it just honestly means that they have collectively decided that they do not like you. And that's what it really is. And you <laughs> that's what it means. It. And sometimes you're doing 15 minutes and you go, oh, I'm three minutes in. And <laughs> I can't walk away because that screws over everybody. The host is probably out at the bar getting a drink. And then if I end, they're going to have to run out in a panic and go, what's going on? And it's going to make the whole show look bad. So I guess I'm just going to have the 12 worst minutes of my month right now. And you have to do that. Point being... One thing that I think is a real struggle for a lot of artists, I mean, I can speak to the comedian experience. I, I imagine other arts have their version of this is you got to go do those terrible rooms because they're always going to feel like that. And the reason you need, one of the many reasons you need to do them, I would say one of the biggest ones is because then when you're doing a show in front of two or 300 people and you bomb, you now know the skill of bombing. You know how to bomb gracefully. And that allows ah. it to not completely destroy your ability to get up and try it again. You got to bomb. Exactly. You got to bomb more than you succeed in your early days because you better learn how. Yes. And then once you've learned the skill of bombing and you can still look yourself in the mirror, then, you know, you're golden. Then you can make it through anything, in my opinion. Well, I'll, can I tell you a secret about me 20 years in? Yeah. Is I don't tempt it. And I certainly don't crave it, but I also kind of love bombing. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> love it. It keeps you really humble. And it's also like, like I've done thousands of shows. At the, I, I did one at the Comedy Cellar. with I'd been going up there a bunch and I'd been doing well. And I went up one night and it was the same jokes I had told there, you know, every night. Going up there multiple times a week. And I was just met with confused, judgmental silence to the point where when I got off stage, the bouncer looked at me and was just like, yo, and like started laughing in my face. This is the guy you see all the time there. And I was like, you've seen me do those jokes. He's like a hundred times. He's like, I don't know what just happened, but you ate shit. And I was like, I know. And I kind of love that. I kind of love that. Anyway, so you crush the other comedians there. They see it. They're probably psyched for you, I imagine. They're psyched for me. The people who ran that venue saw me and they were like, 
please come back. So I was able to be pretty successful in my city. I haven't done like just for laughs, like Deborah Giovanni would not know who I am, even though I absolutely worship her. Some, you know, some of the bigger Toronto comedians would know who I am just from uh, coming to my town. But um, because they're like, and I mean, I know that I'm funny. This is like an ongoing battle. I know that I'm funny, but the reality is I'm one of maybe five or, or seven women or uh, non-binary performers who regularly do comedy. In your town. So I, in my town, in my town, not <laughs> in, in the world. No, not just, in the world. Not in the. <laughs> You're one of those five women. Cause I know who all five of the women that are allowed to do comedy are. Wow. That narrows exactly. it down. No, in your yeah. town, in your town in Canada. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not in any of like, I'm not going to tell you where I am because it's the biggest small town kind of situation in the world, but I am in a city in one of the bigger cities in one of the middle provinces. So um, the dream for me, I was going to move to Toronto before the pandemic hit, but anyways, so I was able because, you know, I am funny, but the reality is you kind of need to check a box, which just feels awful. And it's a constant (laughs) struggle in my mind. Um, When you say check a box, what do you mean? That, like you're saying that they want non-dude performers on the show, so it gives you opportunities, but you do feel like that's allowing somebody to like check their box and have their woke points. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah, fuck that. Who cares? Just go crush. <laughs> I'm going, I really take that to heart. Thank you. But it's, you know, it is still kind of like, a, like, ugh. yeah, it's like definitely imposter syndrome, but um, yeah, I was able, I like, I was able to, do it a lot in my town really quickly. I'm only a couple years into doing stand-up and I've kind of hit the ceiling for what I can do here. I want to say one more thing on this because I see where you're going and I love it. I love that you know you gotta you gotta take that jump and you can't be content with all that stage time. And when you go to Toronto, it's gonna be much more of a fight to get stage time because of some of the things you said. And, yeah. you, and you know all that. And I, I think you gotta dive in and go for it. I think that that reflects really well on you. But I do want to say one other thing, which is when you go, you have imposter syndrome and this, that. First of all, I struggle with imposter syndrome to this day, 20 years in. And if you've okay. listened to the show for 10 minutes, you know that, that I just sit here and go, mm-hmm. I don't think I deserve anything that I've ever gotten. And everything I've ever done, I'm sort of slightly ashamed of it, even, even though people love a lot of it. Like I say, I sit here and I beat myself up. But as far as checking the box goes, there's something to be said for in In 20 years, do you know how many bills I've been on where there were no female performers, certainly non-binary performers. Do you, going back 20 years, do you, do you know how many times there would be one female performer on a bill? And then even, even on days where they, you know, a night where a female performer really clicked with the crowd and then the host gets back up there and goes, what's she so angry about? She must, it must be that time of the month. Oh. How many times I've seen that happen? So there's something to be said for imposter syndrome. There's something to be said for you are only a couple of years in. You probably do feel in over your head. There are probably more experienced people who wonder why they aren't, who feel like you're skipping the line and maybe you are. And all that being said, I will just encourage you to remember that I'm not trying to be overly woke or whatever, but I think it's just a fact of there's a lot of people who paved the way before you who really mm-hmm. fought to carve out that space, who had a really bad time doing what we do. 
who had their names mispronounced, yeah. who always had to go first on the bill, who oh, yeah. always had comments made about them, um, who, yeah. who got heckled with sexual stuff and no one in the no the host didn't address it or protect them in any way. So also keep in mm-hmm. mind that there are a lot of people who laid that track and fought hard for you to get more opportunities. And there's a, a lot, I think there's a lot of inspiration to be taken from that as well. End of rant. I'll get off the soapbox. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. And I, yeah, I totally, I totally know that. And it's, yeah, I, I try to remember that. And any, like, I've been pretty lucky that only a few times uh, when someone has yelled something sexual at me when I'm uh, performing, uh, it's only been a few times where the host just doesn't address it. And now, like before the pandemic, I had my own uh, room and I was just like, hey, I'm never letting that happen to anyone else. And so I think it's like, you know, it's a way that we all learn from the collective wisdom. Yeah, but, um, you have to. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. So yeah. you're in this open thing yeah. with a sexy conductor, but you both feel weird about it. Coworkers. I'm sure yeah. also some weirdness of like this broke open this thing and we got to figure out how we feel about it and all that. How do you eventually break it off with the controlling Francophile? I asked how our caller broke it off with the, uh, with the controlling X. So I'll go ahead and break off from the call. How do you like that for a segue? We're going to do some ads. We'll be right back. Okay. That's it. Last of the ads. Let's finish the phone call. How do you eventually break it off with the controlling Francophile? (laughs) Um, Okay, so I had an extra week of vacation that I needed to use. And I have a ton of friends in Toronto. So he uh, redacted and I just, we couldn't stop fighting. So I was like, look, I'm taking this week. I'm using your air miles. I'm going to Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Still to this day, he has never, like I have not given him a cent of money for that plane ticket. I have not reimbursed him air miles, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) This is gleeful vindictiveness that we're hearing right here. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I sometimes, okay, there's a bookstore in my town that I love and uh, he had the rewards card that you have to pay for and he hasn't moved from the home that we shared. So sometimes I'm like, oh, my partner is, uh, he should have the rewards card. Can I just like use his, his name? And they're like, oh, is this the address? And I'm like, yeah. And then I get like $2 off my books. And I'm like, ha ah, Okay. Sucker. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. So, vacation, um, Toronto, went, fighting, yeah. relationships opened up. I have a feeling this mm-hmm. is, I'm about to hear some, some notable stuff. Yeah. So I mean, like I did, I, I, uh, I did, well, I did kind of hook up with someone in Toronto, but, uh, my ex was still being really controlling even from, uh, miles and miles away. Um, and I just kind of knew every time I saw his name on my phone, cause I think at this point, like he'd always had the upper hand in the relationship. And now I think he was feeling threatened because people were, I, I wasn't like a little mouse anymore. People were starting to notice me. So I think he felt threatened because I think he knew that he was probably close to losing me. So then he just freaked out and got really, really controlling. And every time I saw his name come up on my phone, like there isn't very much juicy uh, stuff from Toronto, but every time 
I saw his name pop up on my phone. I'd be like, oh my God, I don't, I can't deal with you. And then we would fight. And my poor friend who I was staying with just kind of had to like sit through it. And after the fight, be like, okay, like, do you want to go get a drink? And then I just like bitch and bitch and bitch. Sorry, Sally, about um, this relationship. And so when I, when I came home, he, my ex didn't come into the airport and that's something he would have done before. He didn't come into the airport. He just parked as far away as he could. And he was like, this is where my car is. So I had to like drag all my luggage and he like screamed at me the whole way home. And then when we got home, he was like, okay, either you stop seeing other people and we go back to the way things were before the, the symphony or we're done. And I was like, we're done. You're treating me like oh, a wow. business problem. It's done. Yeah. He didn't and I say, was, I'll get to get, know this new you. I'm excited to see you finding yourself more. He said, revert, revert. You just said, I'm not a little mouse anymore. He said, yeah, go back to being that mouse who I was, who, who listened to ate my craft dinner and never questioned it. That's not the yeah. best, not the best strategy, dude. No. Yeah. He, he, and I, it's, it's taken a lot of um, kind of reckoning with myself, but he just really couldn't care less about me. I think he just wanted to be in a relationship with someone he could have intellectual conversations with, but who didn't really go against anything he wanted to do. Yeah. 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 And that's just not me anymore. Like um, it used to be, and it's taken me so much therapy. It's taken me AA to be able to stand on my own two feet um, like I was just kind of scattered and flailing, but yeah, like it, it was really scary because like I said, he made a lot of money. So we had, you know, our place had like a dishwasher. It had electricity that was not questionable. Like my current apartment. Are <laughs> you still uh, in the marijuana mansion, by the way? I'm not, I got my own place. Okay. That's probably so, good. That's probably good. If you're, if you're embracing yeah. recent sobriety, I would have to imagine living in a marijuana mansion would be tough. Yeah. And, um, you know, it has been really lonely to tell you the truth because a lot of my friends are alcoholics, but they, they don't feel bad about it yet. Like I would, okay, I'm going to tell you my most embarrassing drunk tale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, It occurred at the marijuana mansion. One of the musicians I lived with was a trombone player. I was pretty, I was like, I was pretty drunk. I was pretty high. And I was like, you know, what's a good idea to play the trombone tits out and just parade around the house. And so that's what I did. And I don't remember this, but there are stories. And then at that point, they just kind of like put me in a cab because I was still living with my ex at this point. But uh, yeah, that's my most embarrassing drunk tale. It's the tale of the trombone titties. Well, when you said there are stories, I let out a sigh of relief because I thought you were about to say there are pictures and I could imagine that could be, (laughs) that that would have been. Even worse. Yeah, uh, I don't think there are pictures, but you know, if there are, <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope that they get deleted. Yeah. That I remember having a few of those. There's a few of those. Yeah. Where my friends, I have very few people left in my life who have ever even seen me drunk. And a few of them just have these stories where I remember going, oh, that, that felt charming or funny or interesting in the moment. And I look back and realize that everyone there was just either worried about me or maybe pitying me a little bit. And and those revelations are not easy to swallow. No, no, they're not. Like, 
yeah, there are, I hit bottom so many times before I stopped for good. And I kind of owe stopping for good to my, um, my middle-aged not boyfriend. Um, but that's the only thing I will ever thank him for. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, at a, at a certain point, it just, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I feel so much better. I don't feel like I'm scattered and flailing anymore, but it took a long time to, to get here. But yeah, I do have my own place. It's like, I'm really sorry if you can hear my radiators. They are so loud. It's a really old apartment building. Oh, good. Because it sounds like a train. So that's really good. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's like, and I don't think I'm the first person who sat through a pandemic in this building. It's like a tiny apartment. It's mine. I love it. But like our place was really nice. You know, I had a lot more spending money when I was living with my ex, um, a lot more security. Yeah. So it was really scary to take that jump, but I don't regret it. And now I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to do a tour with a theater company and do like, it was kind of, a, it was kind of standard, but it was kind of uh, just like a one person piece about leaving him. I'm trying to make it into something that's 60 minutes long. Cause it was only like 15. So it was part of, it was like a cabaret show and I was able to tour it around, but there are a lot of women who came up to me who told me that I gave them confidence to like get out of a bad situation, which is so humbling and feels so good. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I just was like, we're done. I was kind of, yeah, no. I'll tell you something else though. And I can almost promise this is like, I mean, it, it's it sounds it's pretty clear that you think your current apartment sucks and <laughs> you're comparing it to the old one and telling me about the uh radiators that sound like trains and i feel like when you say you're not the first person to live through a pandemic here that indicates that you think there were also people suffering in this place in 1918 um <laughs> but i bet I bet I, I just encourage you to also take a deep breath and enjoy it and smile when you come home. And when those radiators are like blasting so loud, they wake you up at night. I hope you remember this and laugh. Cause I bet in 10 years, you're going to look back and go living in that apartment was one of the best eras of my life based on what you're oh, telling yeah. me you got out of and what you're headed towards right now. That's the mm-hmm. best. It's the best. The frustrating, and the, I, frustrating like, I do love it. the frustrating young <laughs> years as an artist before you take that leap into the more intimidating scene, whether that's a new city or within your city, they're so stressful yeah. and confusing, but you're also living such a fun life, even though it's unmoored and there's no security. And I hope you enjoy it more than I enjoyed those times in my own experience. <laughs> Cause I would kill, I would kill to be back in a bar drinking my ginger ale while my friends had their beers. All of us going, man, when are we going to get a job? When are we going to get a chance? What's happening here? Who's going home? Who wants to go find some food instead? Let's stay up all night and just wonder if we're going to ever make it. Man, if if I could take a time machine, I might go back to those conversations, those nights. Yeah, it's kind of the best. I'm Yeah, it's the best. It really is. Like I, I wouldn't trade this for 
a dishwasher with someone who couldn't care less about me ever again. Like yeah. it, it is wonderful. Yeah. I have to imagine. Yes. Watching this is preferable to watching people who don't like you eat expensive cheese. I have to imagine. <laughs> yes. And criticize my Ikea furniture. Ikea makes a fine product and it shouldn't be criticized. There you go. There you go. Don't judge. Don't judge. Exactly. Exactly. Now, do I remember at the top of the call you saying that you had a more recent boyfriend who cheated on you? Yeah. Okay. So I met him doing comedy. He came up to me after a show and he was the first man who came up to me after a show who didn't also say, you know, my mom always told me I should do stand up. And it's like, okay, well then like do it then, you know, the open mics on Wednesday. Like Mm -hmm. don't. (laughs) I just did 20 minutes that I worked months and months and months to get. Do not talk to me this way. But he was the, he came up to me after the show and he was like, you're really funny. And I was like, man, this man is like very, a very sexy older man. And I'm into this. Um, And we kind of danced around each other for a while. We became friends and then we started dating so in the summer in Canada, it was kind of back to normal where I am. Like there was the odd case here or there, but it, it was pretty much normal. Um, so we started dating. He kind of just stopped going home. Um, I thought I loved him. I'm realizing now that I'm sober. I don't think I did. I don't think it was true love. I think it was a really deep infatuation. But he, you know, he would be over here six, seven nights a week. And he was like, I'm just not ready to be in a relationship. And I was like, oh, this tortured soul, I can be here for you. But it was just kind of bullshit, even though like we did have some really good times. But um, so we went to my family cabin together in October, just us, like uh, my family wasn't there. And um, I thought it was going to be like a really nice getaway. But then it just, just shit just got real. Sorry, Sally. It just got too real for him. Um, we had our first mutual orgasm when we were doing sex to each other (laughs) and, um, it was one of the most beautiful moments of my life, but it terrified him. And so like the next day he came home or we came home and he was just like, I can't do this. I was so heartbroken. And then I found out recently that he called this other girl who's been his side chick for like six years. Like anytime he's bored with his current situation, he, he kind of calls her, which is horrible. But then he, he got me back, but he was seeing both of us for like a month or two. And this girl had no idea who I was. He would talk about his friend who worked for the symphony and who was a comedian, but he used a man's name when he would talk about me. And, uh, I never heard about her. So I just found this out, um, two weeks ago. And I'm really glad to have found it out two weeks ago because the last time I drank was at the cabin with him. And if I found out, yeah, if I found out I wouldn't be sober like earlier in my sobriety, because the first 90 days are just impossible. Um, And I just made it over that. So I'm really glad to have found out now and to be strong enough now um, to know that. But also, like, I mean, he, he also lied to me about the woman he was dating when he and I met, he told me he was so unhappy and they were broken up, but he was just living there out of necessity. And I was like, yeah, I understand that. But they were like going to couples counseling and trying to figure it out. And I was opening for a pretty big headliner. And he told me that this girl 
had or this woman had read his phone and bought tickets on purpose to like try to freak me out at this show. But it the reality is I actually talked to this this woman too. And the reality is she just liked the comedian I was opening for. She had no idea who I was. Oh, and but then he, he was like he's sitting there shitting his pants. He's sitting there shitting his pants like, oh, oh. You want to see this headliner, and I know the opener is someone who I've, I've been playing this game with both of you. Oh. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I don't know how, how many other people there were. I gave him a key to my place because it just kind of made sense after a while. And I just, I don't know what happened when I was at work. Really unsettling to hear that. It's not really funny. But, um, well, what is funny is like, if he ever tries to show his face again, it's going to be the roast of him. Cause he, he was around enough that everyone kind of knew who he was. Um, and there are jokes about him. Like I named, I nicknamed him hot. I'll use like a fake first name. Like, so hot Lloyd is here. And then one of the comedians has a joke that's like, Oh, that's regular Lloyd. <laughs> like to the rest of us. And it's always so funny, but yeah, it's going to be a roast when he comes back, I think, or hopefully not. I don't know. I just, like he is, he also struggles with addiction. So I really wish him the best. I hope he gets help. But like, yikes, it's not fun to be used. Uh, I don't know if used is the right word, but it probably is. Well, to be deceived or to be like yeah, a pawn in this guy's weird game that he's decided to play without you knowing about it. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild too. Within the same hour to go, I hear about you making out in a bathroom with the sexy conductor under circumstances where, I mean, and you said, you told him, I feel horrible about this. Yeah. But then you ultimately go, oh, this, this was a person who was kind of being kicked around and, and needed some empowerment. And that was a step in that. And then you hear, oh, and then here's this dark side where this guy was like playing a game and manipulating and just seeing how how every situation is so different and how things are never black and white, you know? Oh, never, 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 never. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I, I do hope he gets help. I hope that he stops, um, deceiving people, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty heartbreaking. And okay. So, I have this pan. I had this pan. It was the perfect grilled cheese pan. It was beautiful. It made the perfect grilled cheese in like five minutes. It just understood bread. This pan that has no thoughts or feelings. It just knew bread. Okay. And I loved this pan. And he, I think that he stole it after we left each other. Cause I let, you know, he left stuff here. So I was like, go get your face. He stole your pan. <laughs> How much older? How, how much older than you was he? Fifteen years. Fifteen. I'm years? still pretty young. What a what pretty bullshit for an old man to pull off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so wait, if you're in your if you're it. in your mid twenties, he's like my age. Yeah, he's forty two. Oh God, a forty two year old man who's like you and bring me. I'll take your fucking pan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he took my pan. Hot Lloyd. Yeah. Hot Lloyd. The Hot Lloyd. I know. He lived in a hippie commune when we met. Like it's (laughs) it's quite the tale. But he was a sexy musician too. I have a weakness. And it's sexy musicians. 
And I'm okay. So I did rekindle things with an old flame recently, who is also a sexy musician, but he, things are going a lot better. And I thought we were just rekindling a friendship and now it's turned romantic, but it's, it's been good, but sexy musicians, I'm, I'm powerless over alcohol and sexy musicians. Is the new sexy musician that you've rekindled with also older? He's a little bit older. Yes. But you got a type, you know, huh? you got a type. Oh, I have raging daddy issues, Chris. Like I'm, <laughs> I think to myself, why do I love old men who treat me badly and are, and don't stick around? And it's like, oh, dad, that's why. That's unfair. My dad did the best he could with what he had. But um, I do have a type. Yes. Yeah. 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 But the last time I dated someone who is my age, um, I saw his bedroom and like almost immediately broke up with him because it was just a naked mattress oh, with God. a dirty blanket. That's what his bed was. There was a smell. I was like, I can't be your mommy. Like I need to, uh, I need to go find me a daddy. I got to so, tell you. Farewell. We only have two minutes left, so I'll rush through this, but oh, no. my whole thing when I was single was like, I'm this artist and I need, you know, I wasn't playing a game, but it was, there was truth. Like, I don't really have my shit together. And that's kind of what's compelling about my material. And when people see me, they're in, but then like a lot of, a lot of people I dated would be put in a position where they'd come over and it would be like, yeah, I'm so fucked up. I don't, my mattress is on the floor and I have a duvet that doesn't have a cover and my, my house. And then when I, the first time my now wife slept over, I was so humiliated and she had her shit together so much that the second time she slept over, she like laughed at me and her heart melted. Cause I had a duvet cover and all these shams and throw pillows and all my posters that had been thumbtacked to the wall were now in frames. And it was like six, oh. it was like six days later and I completely did a home makeover. So I was like, oh, this That's is, beautiful. I feel pathetic. I, this does not feel charming with this woman. Like this, there's no charm or romance to the New York artist sad life. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, she's not buying that bullshit. I need to get a sham. Yeah. I'm so glad you did. Yeah. And I went to the Bed Bath yeah. & Beyond and this like, it was in Queens and this very like just total, the romantic cliche of like an older New York Jewish woman saw me in the Bed Bath & Beyond in a panic and was like, hun, you look like you need some help. What can I do? And I was like, I need a duvet cover. She's like, get this one. She'll find it classy, but masculine. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. What, what's a, what's a throw? What's the difference between a throw and a sham? Anyway, I'm talking too much. This call has been, uh, I felt so comfortable talking to you and we've been laughing about some hard stuff. And I want to just say that I'm so happy that you're sober. I'm so happy that you're finding some art to be a compelling thing that's helping you feel empowered and not like a little mouse anymore. And I, I it's there's so many similarities to the path I walked 20 years ago. And it's given me great joy to see that you're finding some of those same positives. It really is. Thank you. And like, your comedy has really gotten me through some really tough times. You've been a huge inspiration to me. So my dream of dreams is that we do Just for Laughs together one day. I'll open for you. I would love that. But we'll, I mean, my career is definitely on a downturn. So I hope Just for Laughs will even have me back. We'll see. We'll <laughs> I hope see. they'll even consider who I am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, more likely I'll be like, hey, do you want to come open for me in... Uh, <laughs> Prince Edward, you know, Newfoundland in February. Like that, it'll be more like that, you know. 
I mean, it'd be warmer than where I live. So I would be there in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's minus 30 Fahrenheit today. What? I will not be coming there. What? (laughs) Minus 30? What are you talking about? Yeah, with a wind chill. How are people alive? (laughs) You just bundle. And Jesus takes the wheel on cold days like today. Seriously. That's why my radiator sounds like a train. Okay. Time's up. I wish you nothing, nothing but success and happiness. Thank you. I wish, I wish the same. Well, I mean, you, yeah, I wish the same for you. Yeah. This meant so much to me. Thank you. My dad is a good person. Please make a disclaimer. My dad is a good person. Your dad's not going to be upset at what he heard. Uh, It was a joke. And he said he did the best with what he had. And I feel like as a dad now, I feel like that's actually high praise for any dad. And uh, yeah, next time I'm in Canada, I don't know who you are, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll figure out a way to do a show together. That would be cool. That would be amazing. Caller, thank you so much for calling in, letting us know about your life. I hope that you stay healthy and happy and that all of your dreams come true and you crush them and that you remember me on the way when I need a gig. Thank you so much for calling and thank you to Anita Flores, who this show is produced by. It's engineered by Jared O'Connell. Our theme song is by Shell Shag. Go to chrisgeth.com if you want to know more about me, including my tour dates. I'm getting back out on the road, 20 cities, 2021. Wherever you're listening, you can hit subscribe, favorite, or follow. It really helps us when you do. Find our latest merch at podswag.com. We've got mugs, shirts, posters, and more. Find ad-free episodes of Beautiful Anonymous and other great shows, including WTF with Mark Marin over at Stitcher Premium. Use the promo code STORIES for a one-month free trial at stitcher.com slash premium.